Glory to God. Woo, I'm glad you're here tonight. Thank you for that, that one vote of confidence. Thank you for that. <laughs> Glory to God. There's an atmosphere here, as Pastor already said. Man, I love your pastors. They're just high-energy people and just full of the faith and power of God. Glory to Jesus. And I like you too. I'm glad you're, you've come tonight. Monday night Christians, my kind of people. We know this. We know we're in a time frame that things are happening at a fast pace. Things are happening naturally, just politically, worldwide, globally, economically. Things are at a very fast pace. Things are changing drastically and radically more than we can keep up with. And uh, here's the thing. God is not surprised by any of what is going on. Things are happening at a fast pace in the kingdom right now that we are not even seeing a great deal of, not to the level that it's happening. There are miracles and revivals taking place all over the world right now. There's an anointing that is pouring out, you know, for the longest time uh, it seemed if there was a revival going to take place. You, you go back through history, even more recent history, but further, and you see that the revivals that took place, it would be a Welsh revival. People came to Wales, and there was just amazing things happened during the Welsh revival. And uh, it went on for a period of time, and it did multiply. It sparked other things to happen, but then that came to an end. And other things that began to happen, people would then go to that. And there would be a local impact that people would be drawn to, and it was very powerful. But we're in a time right now where something different is, is happening, where this outpouring of the Spirit of God is not going to be in a particular place only. It's going to be in multiple places all over the globe simultaneously. This outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God, there was, you know, I mean, not far from here in Toronto, there was just an amazing outpouring of the Spirit of God a number of years back. Something amazing happened in Pensacola. Something else happened in Brownville, and something else went on in different places, local, local places, and people went there. But this kind of time, there are places all over the planet right now, places just like this, where there is a sense and an awareness of the anointing of God, a hunger, a design, a desire, and we're calling on it. And it's going to, it's going to involve every single one of us that will choose to participate to be on the front line of these days so that God uses every one of us in these times the way we're designed to be used. You know, something I realized in the Jesus movement, I go back to that because that was an, just an amazing time in my, own, in my own experience, and it happened uh, for us, Vic and me, in 1971 in Southern California. But there were some earmarks, some specific things that I look back on and recall that were really important to us. There was a real expectation 
that when we came together that God would show up and something was going to happen. We didn't know what, but there was an expectation, and, and we came with that in mind. Man, you didn't want to be late. You wanted to be at least on time, probably early, because you didn't want to miss out on something, and I sure didn't want to miss a night. And in many of those months and, and times that we were involved in, in those things, we were involved in something every single night. Every night. There was places that God was moving that we wanted in on on a Monday or a Tuesday night. You know, as stoners, we didn't get stoned just on the weekends. And, uh, well, I didn't, you know, I'm not proud of that. But, but when it came to the things of God, man, I sure didn't want to relegate that to the weekend. This was an ongoing daily quest and design and desire to be in the presence of God and have that fresh anointing working in my life. And we would find times when the church we were at, they didn't have doors open. Uh, there wasn't a particular thing going on, a special meeting or a service or a meeting or what have you. But uh, one of the guys uh, somehow got a key to the, to the sanctuary and we'd just gather up and a handful of us would come meet and sing and worship. We'd just do it on our own because we just wanted that freshness of the presence of the Lord on a regular basis. It was part of what we came to realize was uh, happening in lots of people. It wasn't just us. It was something that was ignited in multitudes of people their quest was clear. They wanted Jesus. They wanted the freshness of the anointing. They wanted to be used by God, and they wanted to be in the presence of God. We were hungry and expectant for the presence of God, and that's something that around here happens, and you're familiar with it, but man, we don't want to just uh, become lackadaisical about it. We want to press in and receive. Amen. One of the other things that we came to realize is that what happened in us individually, just like you know now what's happened in you as an individual, God wants have, to have that happen in other people. And there was an urgency to share the gospel. I talked about it last night. But an urgency to share the gospel and there is something about that spirit of evangelism that uh, is being ignited right now, fresh and new. What that means, though, is that every one of us are going to be used by God in evangelism in whatever way. Now, let me talk to you about this for just a moment. I've got some things, I've got some scriptures we're going to read. You'll really feel like you're in church uh, when we get to the Bible, although pastors already got us there. Thank God. In these times, we're calling on God and desiring God to send people and calling them from wherever, whatever field of life they're in, God is drawing people to places where they can be touched by the power and presence of God. This is one of those places. 
But what has to happen is we have to be ready for what that's going to look like. Because people come in times like we're in now, just like happened in the days that I'm, I'm always referring to. You know, the, uh, the churches weren't ready for the long-haired stoner types to start coming to church. I, sto- I showed up at church, and I didn't know one from the other. I mean, I found one that looked kind of cool and, and uh, had some stained glass. I liked stained glass. Not that that's significant, but it just seemed right. But when I came through the doors, it was ice cold. Not to everyone, but it sure felt ice cold to me. And you come to realize after a few experiences like that, that maybe you don't look like you fit with what they're looking for to be a part of their congregation. Well, granted, I didn't. I didn't look like any of the rest of them at the time. I kind of had long hair, kind of hippie-looking guy, stoner type, still fuzzy around the edges. And uh, didn't really fit in with what they were looking for. But there was finally a church where they looked like regular church folks themselves. But they welcomed me to come into that church, and I knew immediately I was in a place that I belonged and that God wanted me. And how did that get communicated to me? Even though you know it's the Spirit of God, but it really came through the guy that was at the door shaking my hand when I came in. Now, he had granted, he had shared some things about the church and invited me to come, so he was real excited I showed up. Well, the reason I bring that up is because of this. As people begin to drift in, and they don't just drift, they get drawn in by the Spirit of God. But in days of increase and revival and awakening like we're talking about happening now, there'll be people that don't look just like what you really thought you would go to church with. There's segments of society that don't really fit well in the church scene. And what we never want to be is the kind of church today that handled people like I was handled back then. I never met the pastor of some of those churches that I went to because I only went one time and some I didn't even go all the way in as it turned out. Because I only met people as I came in that told me all I felt I needed to know about the church. This is just not a place for me. Had nothing to do with the sermon, the message, the preaching, the pastor, the leader. Even though it does, it has indirectly something to do with it. But it has to do with every person being a witness, a voice, a hand of God, having the Spirit of the Lord, being ready for this, and not only coming, and get this, you're you're a Monday night crowd, you're going to get this. We're not only coming to get our needs met. We're coming to be a, a participant in what God's doing right now. We want to be involved. There's an involvement, and you come with an expectation to be used by God. Huh, I wasn't going to mention this. 
I showed up at a service one time that I was not speaking in. It was a big conference, actually. It was one of Brother Copeland's meetings. And uh, it was at his Fort Worth meeting in, in Fort Worth, Texas, at the Tarrant County Convention Center, big convention center. It was uh, during one of his week-long meetings, and it was a Friday night. It was the biggest night they had that, uh, that week. And it was on live television, and Brother Copeland's preaching, and he had been preaching all week on uh, some particular things and using, using a guy, a friend of mine actually, Pastor Mac Hammond, as a prop to help make a point. And Mac was carrying a burden, and Brother Copeland was slapping his back and weight of uh, roll cares over on the Lord. It was a great message. It was dynamite. Come Friday night, though, Mac was gone. And Brother Copeland was looking for somebody else. Well, I'd been in this position in other meetings years before or over months before, and I was happy Mac had been there. And when Mac wasn't there, I just had a knowing how this was going. Dennis, there you are. Come on up here. And so now I'm the prop, and he's using me. What had happened? Well, I'll say it this way. He... Uh, he went on for about 10 minutes using me as a prop and continuing with what he was preaching. And at one point, though, finally, he just stopped and he turned and looked at me and he said, Dennis, do you like this message? Well, I said, I love this message. He said, good, you finish it. And he walked over to me and handed me his Bible and he went and sat down. Somebody comes running out with a microphone and put a mic on me, and thankfully my wife fought fast enough to have somebody run my Bible up to me because I'm holding Kenneth's Bible. And, you know, when you've got somebody else's, you know, weaponry in your hand, it's just not as familiar as you'd like. And I realized that God had done something over the first 15 minutes of that message before he called me up there. I had begun to take notes. I'm a real note taker no matter what. I'm writing notes or nowadays on a pad taking notes. And I'm writing down notes of ideas, things that are dropping in me that are just in such harmony with where he's going, but it is not what he's saying. And what I found out when my Bible got in my hand and I got mic'd up is I'd been taking down the thoughts that God was downloading that he was wanting me to preach right now. Now, here's why I bring all of that up. I know you're wondering how does that fit with anything I started to say. I talked to Brother Copeland a little bit afterward about this whole, that whole situation and he said, you know, Dennis, the reason that he used you and didn't use somebody else is because you came ready. You came ready. Sometimes people just come, but they're not really ready. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down that track just a little further. Because there's nothing wrong with coming intending to receive from the Lord, man. We come and expect to receive. Isn't that right? So that's vital, and the presence of God moves in us because of expectation.
But I, what I'm talking about is bumping that expectation into another zone also. Not instead of, but along with the idea of an expectation of how God might want to use you today or in this service. Or we're using a service as the example. But at any point, being prepared to be used by God. I have a, a friend, she's in heaven now. Vicki and I had gotten close to a lady named Janie Grind, and Janie Grind was a tremendous psalmist, and God used her in just big ways musically and so anointed, just phenomenal. We hadn't seen Janie in quite some time when I, I was in a, uh, a service that was actually a funeral for a friend of mine's son. And uh, a lot of preachers there were involved, and when preachers get involved, it's going to take a long time. And it was going on... Uh, a bit too long, almost like this is right now. And, uh, but at one point, they had planned for Janny Grind to come up and, and uh, you know, sing some music and, and minister. And she did. And when she did, she sat down at this electric uh, piano. And she had written many songs, and she was going to sing one of those songs, More Than Conquerors. We've been made more than conquerors, overcomers in this life. Oh, powerful. But what happened is the moment she hit the first note on that keyboard, that presence of the Lord just was like a gusher, just began to flood in here. And he, we, we already knew he was there, but something shifted right then with that note. I got to talk to her later about that. I asked her, I said, Jenny, what, what was that? What did you do and how did you get that to happen? And so she told me a story. So now we're going into a story within a story. Are you okay with this? Everybody all right so far? She said, something changed for me several years ago, quite a few years earlier. And she said, I was... I was scheduled to be a part of a full gospel businessman meeting where Kenneth Copeland was going to be speaking. And I was going to do music, and they asked me to come do the music uh, before Kenneth Copeland spoke, and she got up and played the songs that she had come to play and done her music and finished, and Kenneth Copeland got up and preached his message and and she said, on the way out, everything's wrapped up, the meeting is over, we're walking out now, and he's walking one way and I'm over on another direction, and suddenly I hear my name, Janny. She turns, it's Kenneth Copeland, and Kenneth motions her to come over, and she comes over, and Kenneth stopped, and if you've ever been around Kenneth Copeland, he can get a very intense look, and he's got these steely blue eyes that can just penetrate right through to the back of your head. I've had it happen many a time. He said, Janny, got his finger in her face apparently, you weren't ready to be on that platform tonight. Don't ever let that happen again. And he just turned and walked away. She said, it rocked me. 
because he was exactly right. I had kind of blown in there. I just know the songs. I'm just going to do the songs, and, and I'm done, and then I go sit down, and everything's fine. And, and she said, I really had not prepared myself. I hadn't put myself out there to, to minister. And, and with that word from the prophet of God, I said, I will never do that again. She said, that's how that happens. Now, the reason I bring that up to you is not that you're going to be up on the platform necessarily. That's not the goal. But there is something about being prepared in order to be used. Now, if you're going to be on the platform, you, you need to be prepared. But if we're coming into these days of being used by God, these days of awakening, these days of participation, a higher level of participation maybe than we've ever been involved in, that's what he's calling us into, then it's going to take being prepared. And how do you prepare yourself? Well, you come with just having in mind exactly what I was talking about. How, Lord, can I be useful of use to you today? Pray in the Holy Spirit. Get your mindset off of the things, the finances are off of the kids or off of this. And I know that's not always easy. It doesn't have to take long. You don't have to prepare for a long time, but you do have to prepare. You roll in scattered, and it's going to come across scattered. Well, I'm glad you're excited about all this. I know this isn't real exciting stuff. But the reason I'm bringing it up is because, because we're being... We're being positioned for these days, and part of that positioning means that each one of us have to step it up. It's not just mediocre, business-as-usual kind of Christianity. Not everybody's excited about that. Not everybody goes to church wanting that kind of an experience. Some people want to go to church and just sit and do basically nothing kind of like they might go to a movie, just sit there and be entertained. And look, I'm not slamming people for coming to church, but that is not the goal of coming to church, is to be entertained. It is to have an impartation from the Spirit of God and to be useful in whatever way God might want to use us. There's obstructions to this. There's things Satan will try to do to stop you and prevent you from doing I've had it happen many a time where I'm on board and on track to do something and get go in a direction, and Satan does everything possible to stop it. You see, you're dangerous to the kingdom of darkness, armed and dangerous. You're armed with the Word and the anointing of God and the power of Jesus, and you are dangerous because you have learned how to use the tools that God has given you. But make no mistake, Satan sees you as the threat, and he's going to do what he can to shut you down. Now, actually, that brings me to where I really wanted to start tonight, so I'm going to go ahead and start. It's going to be a short message tonight, once I get to it. Because I wanted to talk to you about mind games that Satan tries to play. And I want us to look really at how he played this kind of game with Jesus himself. In one of the most significant times in biblical history, 
Jesus went to be baptized in water by John the Baptist. And when he came up out of the water, the Bible says that, the, that John saw the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus like a dove. And then the voice of the Father spoke right out of heaven, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all wrapped up in this one event in just such a drastic and amazing way. This is really powerful. What's happening, though, is there's a shift taking place. There's a shift in Jesus himself. Because up till now, he's performed no miracles. He's preached no messages. He has no followers. His own family doesn't really even believe in him all that much. His brothers surely don't. They've said so. But now there's something happening. Now get this. He was born of the Spirit, right? I mean, wasn't it the seed of God's Word planted into Mary that caused this miraculous virgin birth? So he is born of God, divine and holy. But something happened when the Holy Spirit not only was in him, but descended upon him. Now there was a shift, and this is where the ministry of Jesus was really going to begin. Because the Holy Spirit would land on him. You know, that's really what he wants to be able to do with us. To not only dwell inside of us, but rest on us. And if we don't pay attention to how this goes, we can, we can kind of brush him off. I mean, he doesn't leave you. But we can really ruin what he has designed and planned in using us if we don't put ourselves out there to be used. Is that making sense to you? Well, obviously we know Jesus isn't going to brush the Holy Spirit off. The Holy Spirit landed upon him, descended upon him, and then led him. And where he led him at that point was into the wilderness where he would be spending the next 40 days seeking God in fasting and prayer. But he would spend some of this time dealing directly with the devil. So I want to take you through this because... Scripture gives quite a few verses to these events and what happened, and I think we need to take the time to go through it tonight. So I want to begin reading from Luke chapter 4. I'm finally going to read from the Bible, beginning in verse 3, where it says, The devil said to him, Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Now wait a minute. The very first thing Satan says is a direct contradiction to what the voice of the Father had said. The voice of the Father had declared, and it had been heard and resonated, certainly through all of hell and all of heaven, and anybody that was there that day of that baptism, you are my beloved son. It had been said, and now Satan comes to contradict it. The reason I'm pointing this out is because these are the tricks that he will try to play on you and me, the mind games, to question what God has said to us 
and even what he has said about us. And that's what Satan was doing with Jesus right from the start. If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Jesus answered and he said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, and that's the word rhema, every spoken word of God. What did Jesus do when the temptation came? He didn't mess with it. He didn't play with it. He didn't ponder it. He just immediately gave the word that would contradict anything Satan had just said. You know, it's important to pay attention to how Jesus did this kind of stuff because this is how we have to handle the devil. And as I said, make no mistake, you're the target, and he's going to play games with you, and he's going to convince you that he's given you something that's worth thinking about. And it's really not. Jesus wasn't going to take any time with it. Then the devil, verse 5, then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority, say authority. So now we're understanding something about Satan's tactics here. Because this, this whole idea of Jesus coming was all about authority in the earth. What Satan had gained in the Garden of Eden was authority, and he had it betrayed to him. He's about to say this. I jumped a little bit ahead. Adam had betrayed God and delivered authority in the earth that God had given to man. He delivered that to the serpent when he bowed and subjected himself to what Satan had said. And now it's clear Jesus has come to regain that authority that had been lost. And so Satan says, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for it has been betrayed or delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Here's the tactic I wanted you to recognize. Satan understands how to hammer away at a weak spot or at, at a point. Jesus was hungry. Scripture said He was hungry, so He offered Him bread. Tempted Him with the idea of turning a stone into bread. Satisfy your hunger. Now satisfy this need for authority. I'll give it to you. You don't have to go through anything to get it. I'll just give it to you. He said, I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, it'll all be yours. Jesus answered and said to him, now this is real important. Pay attention. You've heard this a lot of times. But he said this. He said, get behind me, Satan. You've got to get familiar with those words. Not just familiar with how they look or how it sounds, but how to use it. Get behind me, Satan. I even use the thumb. I think that, that for me, that just helped. Get behind me, Satan. I think you ought to practice right now. Let's say it together. Get behind me, Satan. Get 
All right, some of you already got the thumb working. I'm proud of you for that. Let's do that again. Get behind me, Satan. All right, now we're, we're playing around, but this is no game, man. This is really how it works. This is what Jesus did. He said, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Satan tries to give us a shortcut. That's what this was all about to Jesus. There was a shortcut. He wouldn't have to go to the cross. He wouldn't have to offer his life. He wouldn't have to go through any of the things he would go through, whatever it was going to be. All he had to do was bow down. But here's the deal. If you bow, you will burn. If you bow, you will burn. Uh, I'm not going to, I could start a whole new message on that right now. I'm not going to do that. I just need to do business here with this. Verse, where'd we end? Verse 8. Verse 9. Then he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He shall give His angel. Now look at this. We've got the devil quoting the Bible. We've got the devil using... Now this is quite a phenomenal concept. He's using the Bible to tempt Jesus to contradict the Word of God. That's amazing. Well, that's what he's doing. He said, for it is written, he will give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Now, that is what Psalm 91 says, but this is a total misuse and misconception of the concept that's being portrayed in, in Psalm 91. Psalm 91, it's all about God taking care of you when you're uh, under attack and when you're facing a strategy coming against you. It's not about doing foolish things and thinking that God's going to just go ahead and take care of you being stupid. <laughs> no, I did not just call you stupid. People get so touchy. But Jesus had an answer for it. And this is what he said. He said, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. When the devil had ended his temptations, or every temptation, he departed from Jesus for a more opportune time. What I want you to recognize is these are the kind of mind games, and these are just a few of the games Satan will try to play on you and on me. Same kind of thing. Same spirit behind it. We have to be ready for Satan to... Play the games that he plays. Now, let me drop down to another idea of this in Psalm 77. Because there's some details here on how to handle the games that Satan tries to play based on things that we've known or things that have happened to us. In Psalm 77, this is written not by David, but by a man named Asaph, a very anointed, powerful man of God. 
that was a, a worshiper, in fact, really had been designated as the chief and lead worship leader of uh, God's people worshiping in those days. And so uh, he wrote a few different psalms, and he says this, beginning in verse 7, he begins to ask some questions, actually six questions, that can be the source of some of the games Satan will try to play. And you'll, as we read through these questions, you'll catch maybe a few of these that uh, Satan's tried to use this kind of question to catch you and put you off balance. Now watch this. Will the Lord cast off forever? Will he be favorable no more? Has his mercy ceased forever? Has his promise failed forevermore? Has he forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Selah. Think about it. Let's think about these six things. Now, we're not going to go through each one of these individually, but these summarize basically all the unbelief you can muster up in any situation. God's forgotten me. God's angry. He's run out of mercy. I've messed up for the last time. He's done with me. It's all over. Yang, yang, yang. And Satan will start to play games with these kind of ideas in your head. And what it does is it will undermine all of your faith and any of your confidence in prayer. It will put you in a place where you will not receive from God ever, ever. Asaph was transparent enough to give us these thoughts that he had, but then he gives us a solution to how to deal with these kinds of thoughts. Beginning in the very next verse, verse 10, and I said, this is my anguish, but, everybody say but, as long as you keep your butt in the right place, this is going to really make a difference because everything that comes after the but changes what came before the but. But I will remember, say it out loud, I will remember too. I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord Surely I will remember your wonders of old. The very first thing that he gives us as a key to dealing with the mind games is to develop what I call a selective memory. A selective memory is very cautious, if I can use that word correctly, cautious about what we choose to ponder as our memory. Now look, you can stir up all kinds of memories, all of us have them, and you can stir up enough painful memories to end up in tears sitting right here and get yourself depressed before you walk out of this room. We have memories that are not worth remembering. So what? Asaph gives us is this idea. He said, here's what I'm going to remember. I'm going to remember 
God's work. I'm going to remember His wonders, and that's what I'm choosing to think about right now. I'm going to remember God's wonders, not only what He's done maybe for me, but what He's done for anybody. If He's done it for some, He can do it again for me. I mean, uh, even later in this, in this chapter, He points back to the Exodus where the, the seas divided and God had a path through the, through the sea. Uh, you can look to the Exodus as an example to say, if God did that, then what I'm facing... It's not as big a deal as it looked like just a moment ago. So he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to remember things differently. And then in the next verse he said, I will also meditate on all of your works. Now meditation is different from remembering. I want you to think of it this way. Memory is the replay of your past where you play back the videos of how it went. You play back the audios of what was said. You play back how others treated you or how things didn't go well or how you got abused or went through traumatic issues. You play those back. Those are the memories. Meditation in, in fact, some translations translate this word as imagination. I will imagine your works. The imagination is designed to preplay your future. When you meditate on what God has said and you meditate it this way, you imagine yourself having received a promise from God, and this is what it's going to look like in me, or this is what it's going to feel like in me, or this is how it's going to impact my life. So we choose the replay, and then we choose the pre-play by determining what we will and will not remember and what we will and will not imagine. See, the imagination is the gift of God. It's designed to work in harmony with the Holy Spirit, where He can show you things to come. How does He show them to you? Well, He helps you imagine things to come with His impact and His influence in your life. Glory to God. Does that make sense to you? That's big, isn't it? These are tools that help us grow. But then there's a third tool here, and I'm going to land on this. Come in for a landing. So we've seen that the memory is vital. He said, I will also meditate or imagine all of your works. But then he said, I will talk of your deeds. I'm going to put words in my mouth that are in harmony with your deeds being done. I'm going to talk it. You monitor your conversation. You learn how to hold back the things that are not, not 
expedient and not worth saying. You learn how to silence yourself. You know, Proverbs says this, even a fool will be considered wise if he just keeps his mouth shut. Don't say it just exactly that way, but that's exactly what it means. So there's, there's things to talk about, and then there's other things to not talk about. We wish social media would emphasize that a little bit more, what we should not talk about. But in our own life, there's things that you could talk about, you just don't need to talk about. Not now. No, you ignite and, and, and release a, a fire that is a consuming, burning, and burning down type fire by the words that you speak at times. And you say them and you can't get them back. And you say them and you can't fix them. It's been said. It's been done. So he tells us here, he gives us some keys as to how to deal with these mind games that Satan comes at us with, that Satan tries to play in our soul and in our mind. You have a selective memory. You let the Word and the Holy Spirit be combined with your imaginations. And then you put the Word in your mouth that you are the healed, you are the free, you are the delivered, you are the overcomer. You are the winner. You have the job. You are surrounded by favor. Or whatever these promises that come up in your spirit are, you start to put these words in your mouth and you declare God's deeds, that God has done these things in others. He's done this for others. He's done this in me. And if he's done it before, he can do this again. And I receive it in Jesus' name. Glory to God. Do you receive this in Jesus' name?